Welcome back to our discussion on James chapter 1, verses 2 through 12. This is part 2 of that discussion. So let's review to make sure we're up to speed. This whole section is about trials. We see the keyword trial in verse 2, and then we see it again in verse 12, and we're talking about enduring or persevering trial. And so this whole section is surrounded by or wrapped up with this idea of trials, which tells us everything in between, even if it's not obvious to us that it's about trials, is somehow set against the backdrop of or in the context of trials. So we're talking about a wise perspective on trials. James has told us already to count it all joy when we encounter trials because it helps us become mature and complete. He's told us if we lack wisdom in trials, we should ask God for wisdom and God will gladly give it to us. Now we're ready for the second half of the section and we pick up in chapter 2 verse 9 where it's a little less clear exactly how this connects with the trial theme. And so scholars have wrestled with well, what, what exactly is this doing here? Does it directly fit the trial theme and how does it fit in? And so we need to think clearly about how this fits in with the trial theme here. Let me read you verses 9 through 11, James 1, 9 through 11. And then we'll come back and just do a little setup for that. And then we'll go back and hit some details. All right. James 1, 9 through 11 reads like this. But let the brother of humble circumstances glory in his high position, and let the rich man glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away." So let's think about a little contextual background before we hit the details of those sentences specifically, all right? First, let's talk about the rich in the letter to James as a whole. It's really important for us to recognize that as you read through the letter to James, we'll hear several discussions of rich and poor, and in all other cases, it's clear that the wealthy persons being spoken of are unbelievers. These are not followers of Jesus. And in fact, some of these wealthy people that are described are wicked wealthy people. In fact, James chapter 5 verses 1 through 6, James sort of has a prophetic denunciation of the rich. He, These rich are landowners who have tenant farmers and they're withholding pay from the farmers. And James denounces them in strong prophetic language. And and this is consistent in the letter from James that the rich are unbelieving rich, often wicked unbelieving rich. All right, that's really important. I think that helps us understand how this is connected to the trial theme here in James chapter 1. Not only that, think in terms of the larger context of the Bible. Think in terms of James's thought world where in James's thought world, he's been influenced by the Proverbs and the Psalms and some of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. He grew up as a Jew with these scriptures, right? And so think of what some of those texts say. For example, Psalm 37 really says a lot of things similar to what James alludes to here. Psalm 37, let me just read you verses 1 through 11 so you can hear the thought world of James and how it might influence and shape what's going on in James chapter 1 verses 9 through 11. So Psalm 37 verse 1 and following reads like this, 
Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like the green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, and your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Don't fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger. Turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. And I hope you hear some of the, even the parallel language about the grass withering, about soon the wicked will be no more and they'll fade away. This is language that's real similar to James. And it's language like this out of Psalm 37 that I think has influenced what James says here in James 1, 9 through 11. And so how does verses 9 through 11 connect with the trial theme that precedes it and follows it? Well, it seems to me that James is giving probably some sort of example. If if the specific trial or piece of adversity you're facing has to do with the fact that you are poor and there are rich people who are making life hard for you, which we know from elsewhere in the letters of James and we just know from the socioeconomic situation of the first century, that was a practical reality for most people in James's world. And so if that's the case... Well, here's a little bit of godly wisdom on that. If you're asking for wisdom from God about how you should respond to your trial that has to do with you being poor and your poverty is being made more difficult by a wealthy landowner or some wealthy person in your city, well, here's a little bit of wisdom from God on how you should view your your situation and how you should respond to your situation. I think that's what James 1, 9 through 11 is all about. Now, with that then, let's walk down through it and let's look at just a few details to make sure we have those clear. James says in verse 9, But let the brother of humble circumstances glory in his high position. So notice we have a brother, meaning a fellow Christian. This is a fellow believer. So let the brother of humble circumstances, really the brother, the low one, literally is what he says, the brother who's low. In other words, he's kind of at the bottom of the social spectrum. He's poor. And what should this poor brother do? Well, James says, let him glory in his high position. This again is really a command. It's This humble brother should, this is what he should do or ought to do. He should glory. And the the idea of the word glory is to proudly rejoice in, confidently celebrate in. The word glory has the idea of what we do when our sports team wins a championship, right? Or when something we're very excited about comes about and we, we celebrate proudly and excitedly. That's the idea. So the brother of in humble circumstances should glory and proudly celebrate in his, notice, high position. He is 
by the world's estimation, low. He has a low position. He should glory in his high position. And what James is offering is a fresh perspective. Look differently at your circumstances. By the world's estimation, by all accounts, you may have a low position. And life may be seemingly hard because of that. But from God's vantage point, you have a high position. You have a position that's elevated. Why? Because in God's economy, you're going to be rewarded for that. There is a new day coming and a new future coming. You're high in God's economy. You're high on God's scale. And so glory in, proudly celebrate your high position with God in Christ. On the flip side, verse 10 says, and let the rich man glory in his humiliation. Notice it says, let the rich man, that's raised some questions about well, is this a rich brother or not? And some have said yes, and some have said no. But uh, it seems to me, in view of the overall context of the letter to James, where the rich are elsewhere consistently and explicitly unbelieving and often wicked rich, that's best to understand it here. And even in the immediate context, this rich person is going to fade away. He's going to be destroyed. This doesn't seem like somebody who, who's going to lose his wealth. This seems like his whole future is in jeopardy. It seems like the rich person described even in Psalm 37. And so I think we're talking about a rich unbeliever. Let this rich person glory in his humiliation. James, I believe, is being a little sarcastic. You poor, low person, glory in your high position, and the rich person should glory in his humiliation and the fact that he's going to be brought low. He's high, proud, arrogant, so mighty. He's got so much now. Well, he is going to be brought low, and he really should glory in that. Um, and this is sarcasm from James. Why is he going to be brought low? How is he going to be brought low? Well, listen to the rest of verse 10. Because like the flowering grass, he will pass away. In other words, he is like the grass that springs up in the rainy season, and then all of a sudden it dries out, gets hot, and in a few short months it's gone. It looked so beautiful. It looked so pretty, like wildflowers on the hillside in the spring, gone by midsummer and in a few short months it's just gone and that's what he this is the picture that's painted for this person that he's just burned up dried out faded away verse 11 for the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed and so James has taken this imagery from really their social world that was all around them every year this is what happened the the wildflowers on the hills of Palestine and Israel would would spring up, right? And they would look beautiful and it would be colorful. And then in a few short months, it would be dead, brown and dry, and they would be gone. That's the picture that James has painted here. Those who want to say the rich person here is a rich Christian, a rich brother, argue that their humiliation is their low status in Christ. But when you look at this imagery, that's not the picture painted at all. It's not low status in Christ. It's fading away. It's withering and falling off, and their beauty is destroyed. This is not low status in Christ. This is them passing away. It's very much the same imagery that we saw in uh, Psalm 37, where for like the grass, they will soon wither. Like the green plants, they will soon die away. It's that same imagery here that we, we see in Psalm 37. And so, again, contextually, linguistically, I think it's best to take this as a 
unbelieving and probably wicked rich person who is going to be destroyed because rich riches don't make you truly well off. There's more to being well off than just having an abundance of riches. Now, as an aside, we need to ask this question as well. Does, does that mean being rich is a bad thing? Like, is poverty more spiritual and being wealthy unspiritual? And again, you have to look outside of this text and at the whole of the biblical teaching on that. But the answer to that is no. The Bible never teaches that poverty is more spiritual and we should all be poverty-stricken, right? The, in fact, the Bible teaches that generosity is good. If giving is good, then being able to give more is good more so, correct? Um, and, and so it's not that riches in and of itself is bad. It's what you do with your riches that's the problem. And so you have, for example, the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6 telling uh, Timothy to instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited and not to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. There's two things that often happen with wealthy people that is a problem, being arrogant or conceited and fixing your security and your value and your meaning on the uncertainty of riches. Don't do that, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Fix your hope on God who gives us all things for our enjoyment. And then he goes on and says, instruct them to do good, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves that which treasure indeed and that which is life indeed. And so it's not being wealthy in and of itself that's the problem. It's what you do with your wealth that's the problem. It's how you view your wealth that's the problem. That's consistent all throughout the New Testament. And we don't have time to explore that in detail here, but I do think it's important in view of what James says about the rich here and elsewhere in his letter for us to make sure we're aware of the fact that the New Testament never teaches that poverty is more spiritual and riches is unspiritual. It just says riches have certain dangers inherent to them that we have to be aware of and mindful of. All right. So here, James is saying that these rich people will shrivel up and be destroyed like the grass. And so he ends this section in verse 11 by saying, so too the rich man in the midst of all his pursuits, in the midst of all his goings, all his business dealings, all his willing, going here, doing this, right? He's got all this time on his hands. He's got all these business deals. In the midst of all his pursuits, he's just going to fade away. He looks so secure. He looks so well off, right? But he's just going to fade away like that grass. And it won't take long. It won't take long until he just fades away. And so James has offered in verses 9 through 11 a little bit of wise perspective on a particular kind of trial. Poverty is a particular kind of trial. Poverty, when you might be a tenant farmer for a wealthy, greedy, arrogant landowner, is a, a particular kind of trial. How should you respond? Well, James says, shift your perspective and recognize his ultimate end, that he's going to fade away ultimately, that he'll be held accountable by God for that. And ultimately, uh, if he doesn't change his faith and faithfulness, if he doesn't change what he does with his riches and it's not according to the ways of God, he's just going to fade away like the grass. But you are going to be, your ultimate end is to be elevated and exalted by God. That's your high position. You're truly well off in God's kingdom. And so he's offered a little bit of wise perspective for us in the midst of a particular kind of trial. 
Now, James wraps up this entire section in verse 12 by coming back to the main theme and summarizing his point. And so, James 1.12 says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. And so, notice our word trial again that we saw in verse 2. And notice the word persevere, which is the word endure from verse 3. And so, we're back to the same Uh, theme as uh, the beginning, and we've surrounded the whole thing with that theme. So blessed is the person who perseveres, who endures under adversity, under trial. Whatever kind of trial it is, he will be blessed. Notice, again, this is uh, very consistent in the New Testament. In fact, it echoes Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount that blessed are those who are persecuted, right? Blessed, and the idea of blessed is they can truly enjoy the good life. It's that they they know where the good life is found. And so stay faithful and endure under trials. Blessed is the one who endures under trials. For notice, once he has been approved, he's passed the test and he has been approved and he will receive the crown of life. In the Greek language, there's two words for crown. There's the word diadema, which is the royal crown. It's the crown that some ruler wears. And there's stephanos. That's the victor's crown when you uh, win some contest uh, in in the Olympics or in a wrestling match and you get the victor's crown. That's the word we have here is stephanos. It's the victor's crown. You have been faithful. You've arrived at the finish line. You've stayed put faithful to God. And now there's a victor's crown for you. There's a gold medal for you, right? You're going to receive the crown of life, this crown that in and of itself is life itself. That is what the crown is. It's true life, lasting life, eternal life. It's life indeed that is awarded to you. And so stay faithful under trials and you will receive the award of true, lasting, eternal life, both now and forever. And so James has offered us some wise perspective on how godly mature people handle trials and respond to trials. He's offered us some real insightful instruction that's challenging to us to count it all joy, to remain faithful and to be persevering, to trust God in the midst of that and look for his wisdom in the midst of that, to have an eternal perspective and realize that this trial is not the final word, that there is an ultimate day coming And we will be vindicated as God's people and we will receive the crown of life. James has offered this wisdom to us as a gift to us to live faithfully, even in the midst of the difficulties of life.